All right, everyone, welcome back. This is part two of episode three. This is the, uh, we're kind of just talking about bodybuilding training in this episode. Uh, right now, we're going to kind of get into more things, get a little bit further into the weeds, as uh, Greg Knuckles would say. <laughs> but we're going to kind of talk about some things that Shay and I aren't 100% sure on, but more like food for thought for kind of the viewers to uh, kind of think about and just kind of our thoughts on the questions. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's get into it. Yeah, so the one thing that have been kind of confused about lately is like in that in part one of the episode we talked about uh, intensity and like proximity to failure. Obviously, training to zero like training to a zero IR is gonna have more stimulus than the two IR. You know, just because it's it's a harder set. So like we know that, but in terms of fatigue, like is training to zero IR really that much more fat- fatiguing, where it's gonna limit you session to session? So, like, that's kind of, like, like, if a zero IIR is more stimulating, like, back the, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, like, wouldn't I want to train to that more often, you know, than just maybe one, like, during Hell Week or whatever? So, like, could I do that, or is the fatigue that limiting? Like, is the, like, does the fatigue skyrocket after that two IIR or one IIR, where, like, you can't recover session to session? The way I see it is, I don't think so. I think that the difference between two or even three RR and zero isn't huge. Um, and like the fatigue that you can get from that isn't like astronomical. astronomically yeah. different, right? Because like three RR is still really close to failure, two RR still is two. Right. And um, I think they both come along with a lot of fatigue. And I feel like that's where like adding sets comes in right mm-hmm. because like the amount of like extra fatigue that you can add that might limit you session to session might come from volume or so yeah it might come from volume yeah like if you do an extra two reps do you really think that's gonna make your that's what i that's kind of where i'm sitting it's like yeah that's why i always have a hard time holding myself back because it's like ah, i know i have two more and it's like well fuck why not do two more if i can mm-hmm. and obviously like I'll have a couple feeder sets or whatever before I do like my actual working sets. Mm-hmm. So it's not like every set I'm doing is to failure, but like if I have two, if I know like if I'm doing bent over rows and I have, let's say like four total sets and mm-hmm. two of those sets are like actual hard working sets. Like my mind says like I'm taking those two working sets to like technical failure. Mm-hmm. But like some people will say like, oh, you got to progress those week to week. And like, which I do to a certain extent, but like it's just so hard sometimes when it's like, Am I really going to, like, overshoot from doing an extra rep? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of, like... And I know, like, doc, like Dr. Mike always says, like... He, I, we were kind of talking before the episode, like, he's... He literally said with, in his podcast with Lane Norton that, like, beyond that 2 IR, the fatigue is so... Like, the fatigue... He said, like, the fatigue skyrockets after that. Where, like, the, like, the, the ability to recover kind of becomes a limiting factor mm-hmm. with progression. And I get that. And I and I see where he's coming from because I think the counter argument to what what we're kind of going getting at here is that like in the long run that little let like the the so like the zero RAR might only be like two percent more fatiguing, but in the long run that two percent will accumulate over time where it's like you might get more progress in the long run, mm-hmm. not sharing the failure every single set than if you were to. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, something I just, I also wanted to touch on, hold on, I totally lost my train of thought, <laughs> fuck. 
No worries. I'll play. We, we can play some uh, elevator so, music. Yeah, elevator music. <laughs> <Elevator music. laughs> I probably uh, just made it worse. My bad. I think kind of what I wanted to touch on was that, like, I feel like a lot of times when people think about zero RR, they think about technical f- or absolute failure. Mm-hmm. So, like, just using your entire body in order to get another rep or something. Like, I think that's probably do- I more think fatiguing. doing absolute failure would be stupid because that's where it becomes really fatiguing, in my mm-hmm. opinion. But on the terms of, like, when you put absolute failure next to technical failure, mm-hmm. like, okay, so, like, there's there's three RAR, there's two RAR, there's one RAR, and then there's zero RAR, which is technical failure mm-hmm. in our terms. Yep. And then absolute failure would be, like, negative three RAR, if that <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Which I think that's like, where... You shouldn't do those fucking three reps. Yeah, man. I think that's where the real fatigue comes from, is yeah. when you go to that absolute failure that negative three rir where it's like you're just doing junk shit at that point yeah um also like i feel like this is kind of where mike comes into play with what he was talking about is that if you're doing all of your sets for example on like like a little bit closer to failure so let's say you're doing all your sets one day at two rir and then let's compare that to another day where you're doing the same amount of sets at zero RIR. If you're doing all those sets all to technical failure, you'll probably accumulate more fatigue from that, like not necessarily astronomically more, but a sizable amount more, right? Like if you're doing multiple sets, like really close to like, like at technical failure, then the fatigue you get isn't like linearly related. But if you are always going to that in your session, um, like you also have to take into account like how much volume you're doing with that. I think we're kind of answering our question here. Yeah. Because it's kind of all wrapping back to, like, in part one, too, like, knowing your MRV. Because mm-hmm. that I think that allows you to know, like, can I push myself to that failure point? Or right. when should I? Yeah. You know? So so it's definitely not to say that, that Mike is fucking stupid for thinking that. Like, no, because like I'm sure if he got on here, he would totally have yeah. some way to destroy us with what we're saying. But. Yeah, and, and, and be able to provide a more, uh, like... I. I don't know, like more definitive answer. Uh, but like kind of what we're doing is just kind of exploring the topic and trying trying to think through it yeah. and just kind of, you know, it, it's kind of fun to think through topics like that. I definitely, yeah. And as a, with how I'm training right now, I'm definitely following a progressive scheme in terms of RIR where like I am working on holding myself back and it's, it's hard. But like part of me wants to, like, I want to be told that you can turn to failure every time. Like, because mm-hmm. that's just kind of how I train. Yeah, I like, understand I, And that. again, I'm not saying, like, every set I do is to failure. But typically, I'll have a set or two for an mm-hmm. exercise that's not, I wouldn't say a technical failure. That's zero mm-hmm. IR, but maybe more so of, like, a one or a two. Mm-hmm. You know, a one or a two. So, it's just, like, I just, I, I feel like I, you can get more out of that. And mm-hmm. I don't think the fatigue accumulated from that is enough to really, like, put you over the edge. But, again, it depends on the exercise, right? That is true, yeah. That's a huge part of it because, yeah, if you go to zero RR on a back squat or a deadlift and... You're like, probably going to die. Yeah, chances of your technique being spot on for that yeah. is probably pretty low. But, like, if you're doing bicep curls or you're doing some shoulders or you're doing a small muscle group like that, rear delts, like, I think you can definitely go more like two technical failure with those than yeah because the fatigue accumulated from a bicep curl is way less than the fatigue accumulated from even a four rir squat for sure so like yeah 
yeah, definitely depends on the exercise. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 there's, there's definitely, definitely a lot of moving parts to it and saying that, like... Pretty much single joint exercises, you probably can take to failure. Yeah. And recover from it. Like, li- like, li- like literally even all the time if you wanted to. Yeah, and I kind of... Like honestly, I, kindly, I kind of do. Yeah, I just, I've been doing something very similar, too. And I just kind of been progressing with uh, volume with my smaller muscle groups because they can mm-hmm. handle more. Uh, but kind of back to what you are saying with exercises. Mm-hmm. Like, ju- like, just like applying RAR and going to three or four RAR to start with, like, every single exercise, I feel like you can't really treat it like a blanket statement like that. It's got to be more so, like... Exercise dependent. Exercise dependent, right. Yeah. Like, like if an exercise is, like, a huge compound movement that provides multiple a lot joints, of fatigue yeah. for you, yeah, multiple joints involved, a lot of load involved, yeah. then going to technical failure on that would probably destroy you and affect the rest of your sessions going forward. It'd probably affect the rest of your mesocycle for a while too. Right. Because it's just like, again, kind of answering our own question, like maybe that's why we don't. And I think it is exercise dependent. So I think that would be the answer to is zero IR really more fatiguing than two. Mm-hmm. I think uh, depending on the exercise, uh, if it's a single joint exercise, in my opinion, no. Barely. Barely. But maybe on a bigger compound, I think, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think doing a zero RAR squat probably isn't going to set you up for much progression mm-hmm. in the long run. Right. And something we also wanted to touch on very related to that topic is um, how volume versus intensity affects fatigue. Um, so the way I'd like to think about it is um, kind of like if you add volume, you're adding more physical work to your programming uh which means you have to get you know somewhat hyped up for the next set you have to get in the zone you have to uh like get your technique figured out for another set like a whole nother bout of those are your lifting. sweaty extras those are your sweaty workouts usually you just fucking right go in and yeah there. yeah tons of volume like like there, there's no question that if you do more volume you're going to be spending more time in the gym you're going to be spending more time exerting yourself and i'd say like, there's no question that, in my opinion, that more volume equals more fatigue. Mm-hmm. Whereas with intensity, uh, if you want to take that side of it. Yeah, so that's actually really good because that's kind of like back to what I was saying, I think in part one, uh, how my my volume is more so static. Mm-hmm. And because I have a static volume, I feel like it allows me to extend the length of my mesocycles longer. Cause like I don't have that huge ramp up in volume where it's like fuck I can't recover anymore. So kind of what the question was was like volume versus intensity for fatigue management, and you know I already kind of just covered that like doing more volume is gonna lead to more fatigue, and there's really no question about that. Yep. Um, like you say, you're doing you do like over time you're just doing more and more work, mm-hmm. you know, more sets, more yeah. reps, more you're time moving your body more, moving your body more with so, load. Yeah, uh, but. I think what we were trying to get to with the intensity side of things is maybe like a higher intensity week to week uh, also can drive up fatigue just because like mm-hmm. sy- systemically like you're seeing this like if you're doing heavy squats every single week like to be able to do that uh, weeks on end is that's just hard because like putting yourself under that much load is mm-hmm. super fatiguing on the central nervous system and whatnot so I think right. in that sense just I think both I think intensity and volume both will drive up fatigue over the long run. Mm-hmm. Personally, I found with myself that uh, if you're focusing on progressing with lower volume and higher intensity, so like in- focusing more on uh, 
increase in load week to week and uh, within an appropriate rep range for hypertrophy, I think you can, for, for me personally, I find that I can extend my mesocycles because the fatigue doesn't accumulate as fast as if I were to focus more on uh, ramping up the volume and mm-hmm. sets per week. Yeah, yeah. I think that totally makes, makes sense. sense. Um, like, like kind of the way, way that I see it is, is very, very similar to that. Just that like now, now that, that I'm more experienced with technique and I have better set quality, like I was explaining earlier, uh, maybe that was in the first part was that like I'll just progress volume slower than I did in the past and still be able to progress my mesocycles probably even longer than four weeks. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think four weeks, I think you could, like, I think you could do more than four weeks for sure. Yeah. If, you mean, if you're progressing, why not? You know? Yeah. So right. I look at it. Yeah, and if like, like I feel like volume can be added nice and slow, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of depending more on like your pump soreness disruption, kind of what I was getting at earlier. Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of smarter to do that instead of just adding volume, like ignoring all the other variables. Variables, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the second, you want to talk about the second question mm-hmm. or second part? Yeah. So uh, the next thing we kind of wanted to talk about was. Uh, like, like this question that I think we both kind of have quite a bit, um, which is something that we probably don't have a super good answer to, although we kind of answered our first question just by kind of just dissecting it a little bit. Yeah. But uh, the question is kind of like uh, the benefits of having lower SFR mo- movements in your programming. So like movements that are very stimulating, but also have like a lot of fatigue that comes along with them. Like so. your barbell squats, your bent over rows. Your deadlifts, deadlifts, maybe. yeah, deadlifts for sure. Um, versus having exercises that are externally stabilized that might have better SFRs or probably do have better SFRs and lower fatigue and lower fatigue, yeah. And I feel like this is kind of a question that we both kind of thought about more after kind of listening a bit more to the Camp Jansen crowd, yeah. And and because they're big on including big compounds, compounds. in their, uh, like in their programming, um, and aren't quite as big on always like just doing externally stabilized yeah, movements so like a hack squat. I think the gist of this question is basically like we're not saying you don't need to squat or whatever, but like if the goal is hypertrophy, like are you fine with just doing a hack squat if it's super stimulating and doesn't accumulate as much fatigue as like a barbell squat? Mm-hmm. Like a barbell squat, if you have it figured out, can be great for your quads. Mm-hmm. But I think it's safe to uh, bet that it's way more fatiguing than a hack squat over time. Mm-hmm. So, like, can you get more out of that hack squat in terms of hypertrophy in your legs or whatever mm-hmm. versus a squat? Mm-hmm. Like, what? Like, why do people think that? Like, yeah, like why? Is, like, some people are just so set on like, yeah, squat. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying like squat is a great movement, like mm-hmm. nothing against it. But like, if you can get that same stimulus at a less cost, mm-hmm. like, why not? Like, that's just that's how I, that's how I see it personally. And the nice thing about um, well, the nice thing about externally stabilized movements is that you don't have quite as much to think about yeah. and like think about exactly where all your joint positions are mm-hmm. just so you don't you like screw yourself over. Cause it's way easier with those, uh, like big compound movements to have like a slightly wrong move that leads to an injury, especially if your injury procli- proclivity is high. Personally, mine kind of is. Um, but like. I, I, I feel like it comes into the sort of similar to volume where like experience is definitely important. Like if you are super experienced with a movement like the squat and you're able to move it like in a really, really good way for your anatomy and be able to provide a good stimulus with that, then like it's probably a really good movement. 
Right. Um, as long as you're smart about progressing it. Um, but I, like, I also think though too, as a beginner that you should maybe include those. Agree. Yeah. You know? Like, I don't like, I think if you're a beginner and new, I don't, I don't think that jumping in a hack squat is going to benefit you right away. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it will benefit you because you don't have to worry about anything, but like you kind of need the, you kind of need a reason to jump into the hack squat before jumping into it. Like if you can't even squat in the first place, mm-hmm. then that's yeah, kind of, I think like that's, going into a squatting pattern wouldn't really. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like their argument is that like, like squats and like, or like barbell squats and like deadlifts and shit are so mm-hmm. like, like they do require so much like technique and uh, like stabilization, like uh, internally and whatnot mm-hmm. that like, I think they're looking at it as a more of a foundation yeah you know like if you don't have that foundation like why would you be doing something else yeah i i think that makes a lot of sense although like the one don't like it's i totally agree that beginners should be doing big compound lifts like that one because it's less work for more muscles yeah um but like like what i was trying to touch on with like more advanced individuals that have a lot to think about with it exactly that's like that's where it comes. That's where like more load comes into play, right? You know? and if the ultimate goal is hypertrophy, mm-hmm. and you can get the same amount with less fatigue, it's like why, why, why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at, right? Yeah, right. Like, like kind of what I'm getting at is like when you're going up to like really high loads, like really strong people do that are very experienced. Um, they they just have a lot more to like think about with those movements like squats you're saying like squats yeah, yeah squats i think charlie really, had yeah. a post on this the other day yeah he's talking about how he's gonna take squats out because the load's getting so heavy that like yeah the payoff isn't worth it right and yeah he would need to like like focus in so much on everything that's going on with his body that like it would be more so like a mental battle than yeah like actually taxing the muscles that he's trying to tax right right he's, he's like an 800 pound squatter or something yeah it's insane like, so it's like to, to keep wrapping the load up on that, it's like, how do you? Right. Like, like that. And, and safely. And exactly, and safely. It's mm-hmm. just, that's why I think, like, externally stuff comes in more, or starts becoming more beneficial for, mm-hmm. like, hypertrophy in the sense because you don't have to fucking put 900 pounds on the bar instead of 800. Yeah, right. Yeah, and just the, yeah, the stimulus to fatigue ratio or stimulus to injury yeah chance ratio too right it's definitely important as people progress and the more they get into training so like there's definitely benefits of having like those compounds in your uh training even if they come with a ton of fatigue especially as a beginner um because the trade-off might be worth it at that point right the trade-off will be worth it you're using a pretty a relatively light load Mm -hmm. compared to what you would be using if you were super neurologically adapted you've been doing the movement for years right like at that point you're going to be pretty strong and uh and and you might accumulate some sort of injury proclivity issues or just overall fatigue from it in general right isn't worth it yep right so like definitely right away i think we could both recommend that doing those big movements is a really really good idea right uh but like eventually once you determine how your body moves, like what different exercises feel like and how they are on a stimulus or T ratio basis. That kind of can determine like maybe cycling other things that uh, might benefit you more. Mm-hmm. So, cycling other things. Cycling other things. We are not cycling other things yet. We are not cycling other things yet. <laughs> um, I don't but know yeah. why I said yet. I don't even know if that's <laughs> 
But yeah, I think that's kind of what we wanted to touch on. Uh, like, I know that there would be a lot of other people in the industry that would be able to provide a much more definitive answer to this question and also the question earlier on. It's definitely some good food for thought, though. Good? Yeah. Right. Because it's like, I don't know, it's just one of those things that it's like, ah, like, some people are saying you have to squat, and then there's guys are saying, well, why do you have to squat if you can do this and get the same results? And mm-hmm. it's, there's just, I think there's just two sides to it, and I don't think either side is wrong. I think both sides have real good points. It's just like, I don't know. It's like, where do you want to go with your training? Yeah, I guess, where do you want to go with your training? I think, although having that fundamental, like, those fundamentals down is important, though. Agreed. Like, if you want that, make sure you're... Like, if you want to be an IFBB pro and you can't even fucking squat normally, it's like... Funny thing is, is a lot of them can't. A lot of them can't, yeah. That is a very good point. That is a very good point. But, like, okay, let's look at it this way. But I'm sure all of them have got under a squat bar and grown their legs yeah. from squatting. Yeah, right. sort of, Like, that's what I'm kind of trying to say. Is like, yeah, no, no, no I, I, I know what you're saying. But that is a very good point, yeah. <laughs> or can't even roll to save their lives. Yeah, they're, like, like half squatting or whatever. But they're doing their shrugs that, or their rows. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, or maybe that could also, like, like something that I've kind of thought about as far as, like, Instagram bodybuilding goes is maybe sometimes those guys are... Like, lifting those crazy amounts of weights just to get some attention on there, and usually they don't do that. Yeah. Or they're more good. Yeah. Do you mean, like, attention on Instagram or, like... Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just, just for, like, uh, like the masses to be like, holy shit, like, this makes sense. This guy's huge. He's lifting crazy weights. There's no way I could ever do this. I think a lot of... I, I was listening to a podcast, and... uh This kind of goes against what we just said, but it was with John Meadows, and he said, he's like... He's like, some guys focus on form so much mm-hmm. where they're using such little weight, mm-hmm. but their form is immaculate. It's like, okay, you have great form, but like, is the weight even high enough to achieve enough mechanical tension to even stimulate growth? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, that's why I think like some of the bro bodybuilders do use a lot of weight because they might, I think like they have that maybe, like it's. I would say it's more of an old school thing. I, I know it's, it obviously works and stuff, mm-hmm. the whole mechanical tension thing, but yeah. I think they might be looking at it as a factor of driving or uh, driving hypertrophy in terms of mechanical tension and weight. Yeah. And obviously once you get into those heavy weights, like form starts breaking down. And I think that's why you see a lot of that, mm-hmm. you know? Well, well and, and also, also like with those kind of guys, guys like they, they have, have like drugs on their side too and so. usually guide to your genetics guide to your genetics right and they don't get injured super easily and i'm not saying either uh forget your form for uh adding weight on the bar because i don't mm-hmm. think that should ever be the case mm-hmm. but unfortunately i do think that is the case for a lot of uh bodybuilders in the industry yeah um yeah and it, it's not to say that those bodybuilders are doing everything wrong because clearly they're not they're clearly not yeah <laughs> I just think there's there's, there's probably, probably just better ways I could go for about the mass, it. There's definitely better ways. Yeah. yeah. Right. And maybe there's like better ways I could go about it from like an injury perspective too. Yeah, because if you're, I feel like it's safe to say that if you're trying to drive like if you're trying to, uh, if you're training for hypertrophy, like to grow muscle, and you're just focusing on load over time. Like, your chances of injury are going to be higher. You know what right. I mean? Like, because weight, like, 
if you're fucking squatting 400, not 400 pounds, that's a lot of weight for me. That's why I said that. But <laughs> some of these guys, if they're squatting like six, 700 pounds every week, like the chances of them like hurting, hurting themselves are pretty high. You yeah. know, where if you could maybe do 500 pounds and then do just more reps and more volume, mm-hmm. and get the same growth. Like that yeah. makes more sense to me. I, don't know. I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> got any water there <laughs> anyways guys this has been um part two of episode three we kind of dissected some questions that we don't have super definitive answers to but if you guys uh you know just listen to it kind of got some food for thought um just kind of listen to our viewpoints on them uh maybe you guys have other viewpoints yeah yeah other viewpoints or other conclusions that you could make um there's definitely going to be some guests on the channel eventually mike we definitely want to have Mike on the channel along think, with many other people. Yeah, I think Nick Gloff would be good to talk about the yeah. externally and internally stabilized movements like oh, yeah. a squat versus a hack squat. Yep. So, yeah, these questions are all going to be answered again um, by people that are smarter than us. More and, versed on topics. Yeah, more intelligent than us and more experienced than us uh, that will probably have yeah more definitive answers of these questions but <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed the second part of episode three uh that, that'll be all for today and uh thank you guys for listening in